And finally, being able to get breath in his lungs, the one last thing he said is, it is paid in full. The Greek word is tetelestai. They found papyrus fragments around the tax collecting areas, and that's what they would do. When somebody would write their taxes and pay their taxes, they would write tetelestai, meaning your taxes are paid in full. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jesus' final word to Telestai in the ancient Greek was the cry of a winner. Jesus had finished the eternal purpose of the cross. It stands today as a finished work, the foundation of all Christian peace and faith, paying in full the debt we righteously owed to God and making peace between God and man. At some point before he died, before the veil was torn in two, before he cried out, it is finished, an awesome spiritual transaction took place. God the Father laid upon God the Son all the guilt and wrath our sin deserved, and He bore it in Himself perfectly, totally satisfying the wrath of God for us all. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Not a good idea. And my brother could come and say, you're not God because you've been very imperfect. Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did that? And I'm like, ooh, I guess I'm not all that, am I? My brother could come to my Uh, to to my side and say, no, you're not who you claim to be. But all of these men said, we know who he is, and we've never seen any unrighteousness in him. He never disobeyed mom and dad. He never did evil things, and they recognized that. And notice, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother, so um, his sister's mother was there, uh, um, Mary herself, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Wow, what a lot of Marys. Think if somebody asked their name, four of them would go, hello? Hey, Mary, what? <laughs> and all four of them would turn their head. But when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is that? It's John. He says, behold. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he was looking at John. He says, woman, behold your son, John. And then he looked at John and he says, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And Jesus was responsible for his mother's care because he was the oldest in the family. It was his responsibility. I find it very interesting. Jesus, as the good shepherd, even while he's in agony, even moments before he would give up the ghost, he is always thinking about others. He's not even considering his own self and, and going through the horrible torture that he was going through, he made sure that John took care of his mother. Not his brothers. His brothers didn't know him at that time, but John he could trust. He's like, John, here is your mother. You take care of her. I'm entrusting her to you. And John would ultimately take her, and he would go to Ephesus. 
And he would go to the Isle of Patmos, and he would write the Revelation, and he would go back to Ephesus, and ultimately Mary and the Apostle John would ultimately, we believe, die in Ephesus. Their tombs are there. But Jesus, the Good Shepherd, made sure to take care of his mother. And then after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Two scriptures that come to mind is the Psalm twenty-two, fifteen: 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my, to, to my jaws and have brought me to the dust of the earth. And even in Psalm 69, again, another Psalm of David says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. And it says in verse 29, Now a vessel full of sour wine was, getting, was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Now earlier, now he received this into his body. He received some of it. But before this, there was another time where they tried to give him some kind of uh, uh, liquid that had some, um, uh, something in it that would dull the pain. And Jesus didn't take that. He knew what it was, and he refused it, taking the full brunt of, of this judgment of Almighty God upon himself, wouldn't even allow himself the, 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 the respite of having a little bit of painkiller. No, he refused that, but he took a little bit of this wine because it was, he was thirsty and obviously very um, dying of thirst as well. Notice, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And this phrase, it is finished, I don't believe he just hung on the cross and go, It's finished. No, I believe it was a victory cry. I believe with everything, his very last words, his feet, remember, were nailed into that post. And his arms and his, you know, the nails and all the torture, and he's, and I don't know if you've, I've never had this happen, but having your legs, you know, with a spike going through that into the wood, you know how excruciating that, and your, and your nerve, that you, and you're standing on that. And then with everything he, he had, he took one final breath and probably just stood up with the, the excruciating pain, and finally being able to get breath in his lungs, the one last thing he said is, it is paid in full. The Greek word is tetelestai. They found papyrus fragments around the tax collecting areas, and that's what they would do. When somebody would write their taxes and pay their taxes, they would write tetelestai, meaning your taxes are paid in full. It's paid in full. And what did he pay for? He paid for the sin of the world. He paid for everything that you and I are enjoying today. How great and glorious is our Master and our King. Amen? For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this Jesus did for all, once and for all, when he offered up himself. No longer any need for any more sacrifices. There's no longer any need for sacrifice. Jesus did it once and for all. And therefore, verse 31, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken on that, 
uh, and that they might be taken away because it was taking too long. Our, our, we have a religious festival, by the way, and it's, it's coming up very shortly. Let's, let's get on with this. We want to we be a part of our holy gathering. We want to eat the Passover and not be defiled by this. We want to get that sight. It's, it's an eyesore. I, I just can't look at it. It's going to ruin my dinner. I want to eat lamb, but I can't look at that. The breaking of the legs was called in the Latin curifragium. It's when they would break the legs to hasten their death because they could keep somebody alive on the cross for some time. It would be excruciatingly painful, but they could do it. But they wanted the legs broken so that, because when the legs are broken, you don't have any way to support yourself now. Now you are slumped like this, and your arms are up like this, and when you have your whole weight on your arms and you're up like this, there is no way possible that you have the ability to take a breath of air and exhale. It becomes impossible. And you sit there, you, you, you can't do it. And eventually you die from asphyxiation. Because you, don't, you can't get any oxygen in your lungs. And that is what he went through. And then the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first one and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And they know that he died because when a person dies, the blood inside the body actually uh, begins to separate. And when they pierced his right side, right where his heart would be, it punctured this uh, sac around his heart. They call it uh, pericardial and plural infusion or effusions. Is that right? I think that's right. I want to get that right. Yes, effusions. And basically what that is, is a sac around your heart and your lungs that when you die, it fills with water. And it proved that he had already died. And water and blood came out when they did that. They wanted to make sure that he was dead. But they didn't break any bones of his body. Why? Because that it might be fulfilled. That not not one of his bones should be broken. It tells us in Exodus. In one house, the Passover lamb shall be eaten. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. And even the type of the Passover was adhered to because not one bone of his was broken. And back in Exodus, during the, um, when God is laying out for them the stipulations for the Passover, in one house it shall be eaten, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Jesus' bones were not broken, fulfilling the Passover lamb on the Passover, on that high day. Was that just a coincidence? No, it wasn't. That it may be fulfilled. That it may be fulfilled. And again, another scripture, verse 37 says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. And certainly we know that that comes from Psalm 22, but it also comes from Zechariah, who said this. And this is going forward even to further uh, in the future to us today, when Jesus comes back in his second coming. It says in Zechariah 12, verse 10, Excuse me. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one who grieves for a first 
uh, for a firstborn. And so Jesus bore that punishment. And the scars are still in his side. The night of his resurrection, remember, he went in the upper room with the guys. And remember Thomas, who now the second time, Thomas, the first time he wasn't there, a week later, they're standing in the upper room and Jesus appears. And Thomas says, I, I, you know, he said before, I won't believe unless I put my hand in his side and examine his wounds. Well, Jesus, a week after the resurrection, appears in that upper room again. And they're standing there. And Thomas was there. And Jesus says, Thomas, come and look. See where they pierced me. Look at this. Put your fingers in the nail prints where they, where, they, where they crucified me, where they drove the Roman nail into my wrist area and affixed me to the wood. Come and check it out. Come and see. Don't be unbelieving, but believe, he said to him. Amazing. Amazing. So after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took the body of Jesus. Now Joseph, we call him Joseph of Arimathea because he came from the town of Arimathea. Sort of like Judas Iscariot. His last name wasn't Iscariot. It was Judas. There are many people named Judas because back at that time, Judas was a popular name because of Judas Maccabeus, a while earlier than that. But now nobody calls their son Judas. Good reason. I wouldn't either. But everybody named, but Judas of Iscariot, the town of Iscariot. Joseph of Arimathea, a town about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem is where this man came from. He was also a member of the council or the Sanhedrin. He was one of those 71 members who would preside over this over these things that Jesus went through, although he wasn't in, complicit with it. He didn't agree with what everybody was saying, but it didn't matter because the mob took over and the mob had their way. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? I keep saying that. I should really stop. So when Nicodemus also, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a pound bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And Nicodemus himself was also part of the Sanhedrin. So both of these men were part of the ruling class of religious Jews in the land. Only two of them, out of all 71 of them, only two of them that we know of were willing to be blown out. Because now when they went to Pilate and asked for the body, they were marked men. Before they were kind of in the shadows and believing in Christ, but not wanting to make a stir. But now they made a bold proclamation. They were willing. Now, think of this. They, they, in order for them to take the body off of the cross, which was bloody and a mess, they defiled themselves. They wouldn't be able legally to take part in that Passover. Because of the blood, they held a dead body. The Bible's very clear about that in Exodus, in Leviticus. You, tuck a, you touch a dead body, you're, you're, you're unclean for a while. For at least, I think, was it a a day or something like that? And so these guys weren't able to take part in the festivities, but they were willing to identify with this one. And they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in strips, notice, strips of linen, not one sheet like the Shroud of Turin, that's a big fake, all right? We'll look at that next week. 
But they wound him in strips of cloth, and they packed his body with aloes and myrrhs, a hundred pounds of it. They just caked him in and wrapped him up in this thing to slow down the decay and also to prevent the smell. But it's okay, because in three days, he was going to be smelling like a champion. Right? And they didn't embalm their dead like the Egyptians did, but they wrapped them in spices. And when typically when the body would decay and all that would be left would be the bones, they would put their bodies in what we call an ossuary, which is really just a bone box. And the whole family would be in there. Ancestors would be inside this bone box. They would take the lid off, and once the, all that was left was the bones after the decaying process, they would just gather the bones and put them in the box. But they didn't have to do that with Jesus because he rose physically. There was nothing left behind except for the wraps, and they collapsed themselves around him, which we will look at next week again. But notice, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And remember that picture that I showed to you earlier at Golgotha. It was nearby. There was a garden. And there's a lot about this that we could talk about that we don't have time for. But there was a garden right to the left of Golgotha, and it's still there today. And that's where Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was. It was his tomb. He put Jesus in his tomb. In fact, Matthew's Gospel in uh, chapter 27 is the only one that mentions that fact, that it was Joseph of Arimathea. He carved that out himself. And in doing so, he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Joseph of Arimathea was a very wealthy man. Not everybody had a cave to be buried in. But Joseph of Arimathea gave up his own place to put Jesus in there. It was reserved for his wife and himself and his kids. And you can visit that tomb today. And by the way, it's still empty. I've been in there three times. And every time I go in, I weep thankful for what has happened, thankful for what Jesus did, but because he made his, he was rich in his death because only the rich could have a, a tomb like that. But again, it's okay because he was only there for the weekend. So they laid Jesus there because of the Jews' preparation for the tomb was nearby, and I love that. The next event that we're going to read about, and we'll look at this next Sunday, is the resurrection. You know, today, excuse me, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection are really the most important parts, the most critical parts of all of the scripture that we're in right now. And I want to encourage you today as we take communion, the worship team, go ahead and come on up. And as the worship team is, uh, as we're worshiping, feel free to come up and bring the communion elements back to your seat and hold them. We'll take them together. But if you have not given your heart to Jesus today, please do so. Because He loves you. I know it's a cliche thing and you've probably seen this before, but you know what? He loved you this much. He spread out His hands and he, will, he says, I love you that much. I'll even go even to the death of a cross, which is the most horrific death anybody could go through. The worst punishment that could occur was crucifixion. And he did that for you because he loves you that much. 
The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. And greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us, friends. I pray that today you give your heart to him unreservedly, wholeheartedly. Give your life completely to him with no reservations. And you watch what he does with your life. It's a glorious and a beautiful thing. Oh my goodness. I pray that you experience that. If you haven't, and maybe you already have, you continue going and you continue to fight the good fight and you continue to remember what he did on the cross and give him more of yourself. Give him more of your attention. Give him more of your life. More, more, more every single day because there is still so much in me that I'm still holding on to. And the Lord's going, Rob, when are you going to give everything over to me? And don't worry, don't be afraid to give yourself over to Christ. The Spirit of God is a wonderful, He's God. He's not going to hurt you. He wants to bless you. And believe me, your life is like this compared to eternity. It's just a vapor, the Bible tells us. And then eternity that will never end. What are you going to do with that decision? How will you make that decision? Will you make that decision today to receive Christ? I pray that you do. Because again, he loves you. And so Lord, receive our worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just read something to you and then we'll take communion together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And so let's take the bread together in remembrance. And notice that same evening, just hours before he would be wrongfully arrested and wrongfully tried and all the illegal things that happened to him, It says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament, the new testament, the testament that Jesus did was his life for yours. And even before he did it, he knew that it was going to happen, because that's why he was called to come to the earth, to save sinners like you and me. How thankful we are. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, notice, as often as you drink it, and do it in remembrance. It's a token. Do it in remembrance of me. So let's do that. Let's stand and let's pray and then we'll worship. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, may the resurrection of Jesus never cease, Lord, to capture our hearts again. And Lord, thank you for the... The, the price that was paid, Lord, such an amazing price, a, a, a price that none of us could pay. None of us could even be willing to pay. The whole world wouldn't be sufficient. All the gold in the world would not be sufficient to pay the price for the sin of all of mankind. And yet, Lord, you did it. You did it once and for all, as the Bible tells us. And Lord, we dare not add anything to it. We simply acknowledge it. And we worship you now as a result of it, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.